and welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio, a podcast devoted to examining successful marketing strategies driving new business development at law firms from the largest international firm to the solo attorney. The podcast is a production of Picture More Business, a corporate photography studio with a core focus on the legal industry. I'm Michael Meyer, the host of the podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Paul Webb, who has collaborated with law firm leadership on strategies designed to increase business development and market position, and has developed and launched innovative reformations of law firm brands and images, currently doing so as Director of Marketing and Business Development at Richards, Leighton & Finger. Prior to working in the legal industry, Paul held marketing positions at both HBO and CBS. Paul, welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio. Thanks, Michael. All right, so let's just start quickly. Tell me about the firm. How big are you guys? What are your areas of specialty? Just a quick snapshot of the firm. We're the largest law firm in Delaware. We were founded in 1899. Uh, We have a multidisciplinary practice. One of the things that we're particularly proud of is that we played a significant role in shaping Delaware law. And although we've got very deep local roots, we also routinely handle matters that are national in scope. And I imagine that with Delaware being where many people incorporate, that you have a a clientele that's not just Delaware, but... Absolutely. All over the place. We often act as co-counsel to larger law firms who have clients who are incorporated in Delaware. And what we like to think is that we add a seamless extension to what they're doing in Delaware. Our knowledge of the Delaware market, legal market, our, do- our knowledge of the individuals, the court systems and all, I think give us a, an advantage that um, larger law firms tend to take advantage of. And then just, again, a quick snapshot. I mean, do you need to, anything we should add to your uh, your uh, bio? Not really. I will say that um, between uh, HBO and my first job at law firms, I actually did go to law school. Uh, I'm a graduate of Rutgers University, and uh, it was during that time uh, uh, that I recognized that law firm marketing was a potential opportunity for me to blend not only my interest in the legal profession, but my background in marketing. Do you have a team at the firm? Or? We do. There, there are four of us here, and we also work very closely with just about every other group in the firm. You know, one of the things that I like about Richards Layton is that the management team is particularly adept at working very closely with each other. So where we need resources, either in IT or in HR or uh, in accounting, uh, we can generally find resources. But the core marketing group uh, consists of four people. And your, your title has both marketing and business development. Yeah. How do you define each of those? You know, sure. where's the limit of those? And then and then we'll get to how they relate. This is my definition. Others may disagree with me, but uh, I, I view marketing as kind of the umbrella title for all efforts related to the branding of a firm. Generally, the marketing efforts are related to broad-based efforts such as a website and advertisements and other things that really reinforce the brand. The business development is is much more intimate much more focused on the individual attorney and their ability to develop relationships, either as an individual attorney or as part of a group. I feel like that really handles the the balance of those two also, you know, the umbrella and then the individual attorney's yeah. efforts. Well, one of the things that I learned transitioning from a kind of traditional corporate environment in marketing to uh, law firms is that uh, in the traditional corporate environment, it, it's more of a vertical structure where you've got leadership at the top directing the rest of the organization and uh, marketing essentially was a big part of that strategic effort. At law firms, it's a bit different. Uh, you have to be a little bit more nimble. It's maybe an overused word, but I 
I think it's appropriate in this case, to be able to develop relationships internally and get people on your side. I'll share a brief story with you. In one of my early jobs in law firms, uh, I was frankly getting a little bit frustrated that I wasn't able to push a particular project through. And I went to the uh, the head of the firm, the, the chair, and uh, I, you know, he had an open door policy and was trying to coach me on some things. And I asked him, I said, I, I, I can't figure out what the problem is. And he said to me, the problem is you don't know who's in charge. And I looked at him and I said, I thought you were in charge as head of the firm. And that was when I had my first lesson about partnerships and about the horizontal structure of law firms. And uh, it was very useful in helping me to understand how to get things done. And uh, I've, I've used that ever since to, to try and manage my projects internally. How do you structure your campaigns or your initiatives? Are yeah. they very much firm-wide? Are they practice group? Are they individual attorneys? Uh, it, all three, really all three. Uh, we do have a, a very robust law. Um, long-range plan at the firm. And the long-range plan has a number of sections to it, including kind of an overall vision for the firm, certain primary goals and strategies that we try and achieve. So we want to make certain that our marketing and business development efforts are following and supporting that long-range plan. So when it's a broad-based project that affects the entire firm, you know, certainly those plans uh, involve a, a lot more people. We also have individual sections that have very specific marketing needs because their audiences are different. Our bankrupt group, our corporate trust group, our litigation group, you know, quite often their audiences intersect, but um, they, they, they recognize it throughout the year. And because of the type of business that they, or the type of manners that they work with, I should say, their individual requirements are a bit different. And then there are the individual attorneys. We deal with a lot of individual coaching. And the coaching isn't really reserved just for attorneys who don't have a lot of business. We have some attorneys here who are really good business developments, but are always looking for opportunities to get even better. And so we work very closely with them on a regular basis, trying to identify opportunities that they should take advantage of, whether it's in-person speaking opportunities or, or opportunities to write articles, anything that will, one, help to define their their expertise in particular areas, but also can help them to get connected with their clients more. So that's an example of where it's at a micro level, but also at a macro level. Who's driving those individual attorneys' efforts? How much are you pushing it, and how much does it, ha- does it have to come from them? Ultimately, it's going to have to come from them. I mean, I can push and cajole and knock on the door and bang my fist all I want to, but I also respect the fact that billable work comes first. Within that, I try and convince them that, you know, when they're not doing billable work, that's an opportunity for them to do increased marketing. And certainly in my position as a director of marketing and business development, I see the, the marketing efforts and, the, and, and you know, increasing the amount of billable work. So it's all connected in that sense. I think a big part of what I do and certainly what my team does is develop relationships internally so that marketing and business development becomes an integral part of what we do on a daily basis. It's not some poor stepchild. And I've been in the business to recognize that at one time it was a poor stepchild of law firms, a necessary evil perhaps. But as of 2018, you know, in the last few years, I've, I've definitely seen marketing and business development in, increase in importance, particularly in this market, which is getting more and more competitive. The firms here, including Richards Layton, realize that uh, in order to remain competitive, you have to get out there and develop relationships. And, and really, ultimately, when you break it down, that's what marketing and business development is all about. Before we get away from the marketing, the business development stuff. You know, one thing I noticed on your website, yeah. very text driven, but you have this whole series of videos yeah. going back almost 10 years now. Yeah. 
you know, what's sort of the strategy of, of that? Uh, and, you know, how much resources are you, are you putting into using video and any other content that perhaps I missed? Well, the, I will say that the website predates me. Uh, but since I've been there, I have been a real proponent of more and more opportunities to interact with clients, whether that's in person or in the case of our website through video. I'm a big believer in that strong marketing has a personality behind it. And uh, most law firms are pretty anonymous to clients. Um, it's big expensive law firm A versus big expensive law firm B across the street. To the extent that I can give this firm some level of personality, I think that will help the marketing and business development efforts. And so the videos, particularly the ones that you've seen more more recently, and, and I believe you're referring to the ones that were, were taken uh, at, at Tulane, you know, are designed to really connect with the viewer. We, we not only posted those on the web, but we sent those out through LinkedIn, our LinkedIn um, page. Um, we also, to select clients um, that we knew would appreciate it, emailed uh, the, the small snippets to them so that they could, you know, get some feedback as to what was going on down in Tulane. The initial feedback was wonderful. A number of our attorneys got comments, certainly on LinkedIn and through other methods saying, you know, wow, I really appreciated it. Thanks for giving us some insight on that. And what, I, what I'm what i hoping it does is it, it, it helps to solidify those relationships. It helps to make that connection. And uh, I think you'll see on, on many law firm websites, more and more video being used to to try and, you know, develop those connections. I mean, something else that I noticed in them and you just talked about is mm-hmm. that they're much more personality driven than they yes. are. They're not dense treatises it's no. I mean, they're, I think they're about 30 seconds. Maybe. About 30 I mean, seconds. We yeah. try to keep it to about 30 seconds. Now, some of the other videos that you saw corporate, which are a little bit older, were a little bit longer, uh, but we hope just as interesting, particularly for law school students. And, and let me just say that, you know, I, I, you, most marketers recognize that the website has, uh, you know, multiple audiences, not the least of which are law school students who want to find out what it might be like to work at, uh, at your firm, in addition to clients who want to know what your face looks like and what your background is and so on and so forth. So you had been at HBO and CBS in a more traditional marketing role. Mm-hmm. Um, before coming over to legal. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything from that experience that you bring with you into legal that, that perhaps people who have kind of come up through the, the legal marketing route don't have? Well, uh, I, I, I don't know if they don't have it. I, I, I can't say necessarily that, but I know for me, you know, what I can say is an appreciation of, you know, visual style of, of media and what media can do. In the various roles that I've played over the years, I have focused sometimes more on marketing, sometimes more, more on business development, sometimes more on communication. But, you know, I've been able to link all of them using the uh, experiences I had working with the kind of mass audience that a CBS or an HBO would attract. I, I actually think one of the best jobs I had was my very first job out of college, and that was as a research analyst at WCAU-TV, where I really learned to analyze dense books of ratings. Um, I'm not even certain how they do it nowadays. It's been so long, but uh, we would get the uh, the Arbitron and Nielsen ratings and, uh, and sift through the books uh, every ratings period and really try and determine from those numbers what the audience was was wanting. Um, you know, where was the flow of the audience? What was the share of a particular program? How did certain time periods attract certain audiences and certain demographic groups? And I think the core of that understanding has helped me to, you know, work very closely with attorneys to to really tease out what their clients are looking for, not just, you know, a certain level of competency, which is probably the minimum standard, but um, 
the development of a relationship, the ability to kind of hold a client's hand through a problem. Uh, because quite often clients come to you when there is a problem, they want you to help solve it, and uh, you have to be ready at a moment's notice to to kind of take on that, that not only legal burden, but the emotional burden that they may be going through as well. Um, and if you can connect with them in that way, that's, that's all the better. So to segue... Now to talking about diversity, I was actually shooting an event and there was a panel not on diversity necessarily, but it was on appropriation and reappropriation of culture. Uh, And there was a question asked Uh by uh, a woman in the audience that said, you know, because they they had started to touch on diversity because it comes up. Um, But she said, you know, how can I, as someone who's not diverse, help people who are diverse at my agency? Mm. Or how can I, you know, help push this at my agency? One of the, the art directors on the panel, Momo Pixel, who is super talented, she just said, look, it's easy. Just hire more of us. And then right. listen to us. And it's not quite so easy. Still, it seems like this has been a topic, at least since I've been working with law firms, which isn't yeah. all that long, but it's still yeah. a while. And I feel like everyone else I talk to, it's been a topic. You know, why, yeah. why hasn't it been solved yet? Why, haven't, why aren't we as diverse in right. legal as the overall culture is? Well, you know, in, in, you're, in, in some ways you're asking broader societal questions, which are somewhat above my pay grade. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I certainly believe that, you know, a lot of this is just a function of, you know, the way our society has gone. I think there's still a great deal of implicit bias. You know, certainly uh, in the news lately, you've seen examples of that with some other major companies. I, I, I think there is a tendency, there is a human tendency to hire people who are like you. There's a certain comfort level. There's a certain connection that people have, you know, hiring people who are, you know, have a similar background to them. Um, But I think uh, of late, uh, the last couple of decades, I'll say, you know, people recognize that that's not always the best thing for business because you, you, you wind up having a limited view. You wind up making, frankly, the same mistakes over and over again because um, you're not injecting new ideas and, and, and a new way of looking at uh, looking at problems. Lawyers, I think, on a certain intellectual level, get that. Um, I think the ABA's recent, you know, Resolution 113, uh, which, which was adopted in August of 2016, is a major attempt to make changes in that area. I think it recognizes that for the legal profession to remain crucial and and connected to the overall society, that it needs to reflect the overall society. One of the things that I read, you know, fairly recently is that only 7% of equity partners were minority and just 17% of equity partners were women. And those numbers clearly don't reflect the increasing number of diverse graduates that have been coming out of law schools. Again, you know, you can probably argue all kinds of reasons as to why that, that may be, But whatever the reason that you argue, I think there is an understanding that that has to change. It hasn't changed very much in the last couple of decades. As I mentioned to you earlier, I've been in this business almost 20 years and uh, I've seen small changes. But I will say that those small changes have been celebrated. In the last few years, I've seen more women rise to the top of certain law firms, our law firm. In another year or so, we'll have a woman, not just a woman, but a minority woman leading it. And not because they are women or necessarily minority women, but because the experience that they have brought and the kind of business that they've been able to develop uh, has been significant enough that the firms recognize that this is real leadership. This is what real leadership looks like. And it's not just the guy you know who grew up across the street from me who looks just like me and plays with my son, but somebody who came from perhaps 
perhaps a, a completely different neighborhood and a completely different culture, but still brings a great deal to the firm. And, and I think as our thinking becomes more creative about that and our level of awareness as to what can be brought to our environments and our cultures and, and how that can add to our environments and cultures, I think the more you'll see an improvement in, in the levels of diversity. I hope so anyway. <laughs> One thing that I've, I've heard you talk about before mm-hmm. um, and that I didn't necessarily hear in that answer is that uh-huh. there are also business imperatives where yes. clients are asking yes. for this now. Yes, yes. I, I, can, I can talk a little bit more about Resolution 113. One of the things that is so significant is that it's not only a resolution, but there are significant signatories to uh, the resolution, including American Express, Comcast, Facebook, J.P. Morgan Chase, um, McDonald's, Microsoft, Prudential, Visa, Walmart, I mean, uh, a who's who of American companies have signed on to this. And essentially, the resolution is, is, is urging providers of legal services, including law firms and corporations, to expand and create opportunities at all levels of responsibility. I think that's the first time that's really happened. Prior to this, it's really been lip service. You know, great idea, pat on the back, kumbaya, let's, you know, uh, we should all be together. But then when you go back into your cubicle or your office, you know, it's, it's the same story that you had before, you know, now there's pressure, there's monetary pressure, there's pressure from clients. And maybe that's the only way this is really going to change. We're certainly early in the process at this point. Uh, It's only been about quite two years since this resolution was adopted by the ABA. But I've seen a number of organizations, including the Legal Marketing Association, who are who are watching very closely and essentially holding their feet to the fire and saying, okay, you know, this this has to be more than just a, you know, three written paragraphs uh, as as part of, uh, you know, the ABA's efforts. Uh, there has to be some real change occurring. And uh, there are a number of diversity and inclusion groups that are pledged to monitor and, and, and hold law firms and corporations task. So the Diversity Lab did a, a women in legal hackathon a few years ago, mm-hmm. last year, I guess. One of the ideas that came out of it was there's a rule in the NFL, I think it's the, the Rooney rule. Rooney, yes. Mm-hmm. Where teams have to have mm-hmm. a certain number of candidates right. considered for any given position. Right. And so they've instituted a similar rule and had signed mm-hmm. in from, on the legal side, a, a variable who's who of mm-hmm these uh, firms to try and push this internally also, Mm -hmm. making sure that I think it's 40% of any candidate or 30% of candidates for any given uh, partner or uh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. leadership position has to be either uh, you know, it has to be a diverse candidate. Do you think it's going to take both that external and internal kind of pressure? I mean, did there have to be the, do there have to be systems to, to make this change? I think so. I mean, we, we didn't get here overnight. I mean, you know, we're, we're now what, 242 years old as a country or something along those lines. And, uh, you know, anyone who understands the history of this country and can be honest with themselves about the history of this country can understand why we are here today. But I think we also have to be, uh, you know, clear in understanding what it's going to take to move beyond that. You know, if we all agree that there are wonderful things about this country, but there's some things about our society that could be improved, this is one of the things. And in my opinion, I think it's holding us back as an overall society. I think the, the, the Mansfield rule and 
and, uh, and, and the Rooney Rule are, are examples of forcing people to look beyond the normal, the normal areas for candidates. You know, expand your scope, widen your net, you know, uh, whatever, whatever you want to call it. It's asking you to take a step back and stop going to the same places over and over again because you're bound to find an additional mix of people which may be tremendously beneficial. You may encounter someone that you've never thought of before as someone that you could add to your organization. So in answer to your question, I do think it's going to require that kind of effort both internally and externally to make this happen. And, you know, I try and be a glass half full person, but I'd like to think that maybe this time around we can see some significant improvement. You had t- talked earlier about, you know, people come and look at the website. It's also, right. you know, potential candidate, you know, That's potential right. attorneys mm-hmm. looking at the site. Mm-hmm. And it, it does matter what they see. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it goes even further beyond that. Sure. You know, does it matter what young kids see sure. in terms of what's possible for them yeah. and what's you know, do firms need to be supporting things even further back in the pipeline if this is yeah. really something that's important? Well, you know, it, it's funny that you bring that up. One of the subcommittees that I'm a part of in the Legal Marketing Association Diversity and Inclusion is the Pipeline Committee. And one of the things that we are dedicated to is going to colleges and going even to high schools to talk with people about careers in law firm marketing. When I was a journalism student undergrad, uh, and this was a long time ago, I won't name, but uh, I, you know, would I never thought that law firm marketing was something that I could have aspired to. I didn't. I don't think it even existed at the time. But I have gone back to my alma mater, Temple University, and I have spoken to marketing students about law firm marketing and uh, have encouraged them to uh, look at that as a possible uh, option for them and to help them to recognize that uh, there are all kinds of opportunities that continue to grow in law firm marketing and in the legal profession uh, in general, you know, for people who historically have not looked at that uh, as as a possible option for them. There, there are really a couple of ways you can look at that. And, and, and I'm, I'm a father of two who are currently in college. And, you know, I, I say to both of my children, both of my daughters, you know, if you look at an opportunity, and you don't see yourself there, then you can either say, well, I guess they don't want me or preferably they need me. And I prefer them to, to do the latter. You know, it's funny, the first thing I did with legal marketing, I wasn't uh-huh. even in legal marketing. I was running a, a an in-school photo program mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for an urban assembly school. Mm-hmm. It was a school for law and justice, which Cravath uh, sponsored. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did a lot of, um, I guess, enrichment activities mm-hmm. outside of the normal yeah. school um, academics. But it was really impressive to see, you know, these partners taking their time out of their day, they could be billing, yep. but taking their yep. time to do these things, bringing these students into the law firm. Yep. Do we have to think more broadly about what these programs might look like? Yeah. I think there's a level of sensitivity that has to be increased uh, and, 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 and creativity. I'll give my firm a bit of a pat on the back. Last night, we had a, a reception for our summer associates, and uh, we had them at one of the partner's houses. 
And uh, instead of going to the usual caterer to have this affair, he went to one of the schools, one of the culinary schools that uh, reaches into the minority community and, you know, had them cater the affair. And uh, it was wonderful. I mean, it was a really great opportunity for these, you know, young aspiring uh, chefs to uh, kind of show what they could do to um, a potential audience of restaurant goers, you know. And it was a way that we as a firm could reach into our local community uh, and hopefully help to make even some small difference in somebody's life. And I wound up talking to a couple of the young people there and, uh, you know, I asked them what, you know, what they aspired to do. um, And many of them want to ultimately own their own restaurant uh, or maybe their own catering service. And I hope that, you know, in speaking with them, and I noticed a number of the other um, partners and and, and attorneys from, from my firm were speaking with them, you know, we were really encouraging and really try to, you know, help them see that this is a real possibility for you. And, uh, you know, we're kind of proud to be a part of that. And, you know, based kind of jokingly and not really jokingly saying, you know, um, you know, when you open your first restaurants, let us know, we'll be we'll be standing in line. So little things like that, I think, can make a difference when you're reaching into, you know, a community that, that doesn't traditionally have access to those kinds of resources and to pull them along or, you know, embrace them and, and, and recognize the value that they bring and help them to realize the value that they bring. You know, it strikes me that there's also, I mean, in a way that brings you back to the, the mm-hmm. business imperative mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. You, all mm-hmm. of a sudden here is, yeah. you know, and perhaps they're not the right potential clients, but yeah. people that are starting businesses you never know what they're going to become right. when you make those relationships and you reach out across, Absolutely. you know, between yeah. communities. One of them could be a client one day. Who knows? Right. I mean, you, yeah. you know, you got to think of all the firms chasing the Hollywood. That's right. Uh, That's right. Studios. Yeah. You know, who was the firm that, that had a relationship with Tyler Perry, right? I mean, right. that's the, that's right. Uh, right. There, there, you never know who's going to become yeah. Yeah. something more. Yeah. Um, and that's true on the candidate side as well. That's right. Absolutely. Um, and, and in that sense, you know, do we need to maybe start thinking more broadly about how we vet candidates and yeah. how we assess their potential at, at firms? As I said before, I mean, I think one of the things is, um, you know, moving out of your comfort zone and, and, and recognizing that, you know, skills and abilities and intelligence really comes from a number of different sources. And, you know, I think the people who have that ability to step out of their comfort zone and recognize creatively that just because you don't necessarily look like me or have the same background or have had the same experiences as me that you're not necessarily going to be as good at as as I am and maybe they can even go so far as to say you know what maybe because of that you're better than I am who knows but uh, I, I I think being able to step out of that comfort zone is an important part of the process and um, I think as the as as we promote this idea more I think the leadership that's coming out now feels much more comfortable with that than say uh, past leaders of a couple of generations ago now, this is a bit of a segue, but we're mm-hmm. still within diversity. Mm-hmm. When we talk about that, what are we talking about? You know, huh. yeah, yeah. Because you know, how you know, broad do we? How broad is is the pool of of diversity? Yeah, it's it's, it's a really great question. Um, I'll try and answer as best I can. I think when I think about it, I'll, I'll answer from my perspective. Historically, there have been 
groups of people, and I'll say it generally, they're black and brown people who have been left out of the American dream. There have been legal impediments, uh, social impediments that have affected these groups for generations. And to the extent that we can overcome that, that's what diversity means to me. And I, I have to include uh, women as well. Even though there are more women, even, even when I was in law school a number of years ago, there were more women in law school than there were uh, men, um, but you still don't see as many women as equity partners. You still don't see as many women in leadership positions uh, as there should be. It, it has improved some, but it's not nearly where it should be. So when we begin to feel comfortable with the idea that the talent can come from so many different places, not just the usual places, then I think you'll begin to see diversity increase. You know, again, I'm, I'm a parent of, of two African-American girls and, you know, uh, right now, neither of them seem to be interested in law, but who knows. But, you know, I want for them a world where they don't have to hear what I heard from my parents, that you have to work twice as hard to be just as equal and that, uh, you know, every mistake that you make is going to be compounded because there's going to be an assumption that uh, that you're not good enough anyway, whereas your white counterpart can make the same mistake and not necessarily uh, be hurt by it. I don't want them hearing those stories, and I certainly don't want their children, my grandchildren, hearing those stories. So although it has improved for me more so than it was for my parents and certainly my grandparents, parents, I want to make certain that the opportunities for, for women and for minorities are improved for my children and their children. If, if, you know, what does a diverse law firm of the, of the future look like? When we hit yeah. what's yeah. ideal, what does that look like? I hate to put any numbers on it because I think that's not fair. Uh, and I don't think that's necessarily the, uh, uh, the right um, measurement. But I think a diverse law firm has a diversity of ideas, uh, a diversity of skill sets, you know, reaches beyond the typical borders of, of, you know, looking for candidates and has a mix of people with different experiences, whether that be, you know, gender focused, whether that be, uh, you know, culturally, whether that be race. You know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a firm that has a mixture of different experiences. Not to draw out this answer, but I'm thinking of one partner in particular uh, here who I met uh, when I first came here who was very proud of what he called his humble beginnings. And he is of the mindset that, you know, he did not, as a youngster, think that he would ever be at a major law firm like this. It simply wasn't a part of his his vision uh, as a youngster. But you know, he worked hard and found that he was a you know a smart guy in school and 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 made it to a very senior level. And what I would love to see is for anybody to be able to do that. And, you know, no matter what your upbringing is, no matter what your start is, I think that will help to increase the diversity of law firms. Paul, thank you. Sure. Michael, it's wonderful meeting you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Legal Marketing Studio podcast. And thank you to our listeners who've joined us for this episode. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. The Legal Marketing Studio can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Wherever you find us, please leave a like or a review. Extended content, including photographs and links, can be found on our website, legalmarketing.studio. Note that there is no .com 
It is just legalmarketing.studio. The Legal Marketing Studio is a production of Picture More Business, a full-service corporate photography studio focused on the legal industry based in Brooklyn, New York, and working with clients nationally. More information can be found at picturemorebusiness.com. That's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.